come to have expectations. We expect God to do some good things this year. And we expect to see some good things. And the reason is quite simple. Jesus has never lost his power. He is still the wonderful power and authority in heaven and in earth and in all the earth. He is a mighty God. And we live through different periods of time. In history, things change. They go up and down. They go round in cycles. And I want to speak today about the times in which we live. Because one of the things about scripture, and one of the things about prophetic words, is <coughs> always to prepare you for what's to come. So when you see it, you don't get discouraged. So when you see it, you know to keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Because it doesn't matter the chaos you see around you, it never stops God moving. It never stops the moving of the Spirit of God in dealing with people's lives and in dealing with nations. And when there is lots of wickedness in the world, God steps in to cause a lot of chaos. And God steps in to start to shake things. He shakes, and that which is founded and based on his work, and people who are standing on his work, after the shaking are still standing. And so today, I want to talk about the times in which we live, and I'm going to do it from a book in the Bible that very rarely we ever look at. And it's the book of Jude. Now in the Bible, the book of Acts, Acts is the beginning of the church. The book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. But the book of Jude is unique and it's more, more or less completely dedicated to the Acts of the Apostates and to the Apostasy. And if you look in your Bible, it's placed in a very strategic place right before the, the book of Revelation, which describes events in the Tribulation. So just to start off with, there's different people structure it differently, but Jude doesn't have many verses, but what it contains is a multitude of truths, and you can spend a long time in each one of them. And I'm just going to, just as we look at the scriptures, we're just going to look at I'm just asking to bring up Jude chapter 1. It's going to be small writing because it's a whole chapter. Jude chapter 1. Just going to get you a breakdown of the, the chapter, the, the book of Jude before we go into it in a bit more detail and given an outline. But one of the things which you find in verse 3, Jude writes and says, earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. You know who you believed, you know who you trust, then contend for the faith. 
remember that Jesus Christ died, he was crucified, he was buried, and the third day he was resurrected from the dead. <coughs> and he's ascended to heaven. We contend for the faith who Jesus is, the Son of the living God. So you've just given us that at the beginning. And near the end, for the verse 20, starts to talk about beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And so, in between contending for the faith and building up your faith, Jude deals with apostasy. And he deals with it in all different realms. For instance, we're going to start and come back to verse 4 later on. But look at verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes into the apostasy in the Old Testament. <coughs> And so from verses 5 down to 8 we read, I will ever put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, they have preserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So he's right away he goes in and he talks about the unbelief and the people who didn't believe who came through the wilderness. And God judged them. Then he goes on to talk about the angels which left their habitation. So that's the angels which we read about in Genesis chapter 6. They gave up their place, they came down, they mingled with the daughters of men and were produced to the apes of the giant and the Nephilim. And then from offsprings, most of the people, that's where they believed that the demons came from. And then he goes on to Sodom and Gomorrah. Not just the corruption, the fornication, but after going after strange flesh. And not only after strange flesh, then you're talking about bestiality and all sorts of things like that may start to come in. So if you can go into each one of them, they're all the corporate level apostasies. And you can spend whole time looking at each one individually. But then he goes on to the supernatural realm, which is hopefully this is what we hope to come back to later on. In verse 9 and 10. Yet Michael the Archangel, when contending with the devil he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. And then after that, it goes into the apostasy in the natural realm. In verse 12, 13, and so we've done with the corporate realm, and then he brings out three examples of individuals. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, 
ran greedily after the error field for the war and perished in the gainsay of Kilcola. So when he's dealing with apostasy, he's dealing with cock apostasy and gives you three examples. And then when it comes to individual apostasy, he brings up three individuals. And then after that, he talks about the apostasy in Old Testament prophecy from verse 14 to 16. And then of also the seven from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all that ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all the hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurous complainers walking after their own lusts. But the mouth speaketh great swelling words, having made persons in admiration because of advantage. And then he goes on to describe apostates, the characters of the apostates between verses 17 and 19. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time. They should walk after their own ungodly lusts. There be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. And then we start to come back to the encouragement which we have at the beginning. Now so as we come to look at Jude, the first time when we come to verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares. And the very first time when you come to that, it takes me back to 1 John 2.19. Because there it says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have been contended with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So John says, in his time, they went out from us. And it was to manifest to the people that they are different from us. They're different to us in what they teach, and different to us from the power of the Spirit which we demonstrate. But when we come to Jude, it's not that they went out from us. Jude says they have crept in unawares. They are the wolves in sheep's clothing. And so we live in a time when we look around us and you can see how the enemy has crept in and apostasy has come into the church. You look around us and you see how the doctrines, how the truth about Jesus, how about the truth about morality, everything is being corrupted. Now, about 50 years ago, just over 50 years ago, David Wilkerson, for those who might know, not know from the man who founded Teen Missions, God gave him a vision. Teen Challenge. A Teen Challenge, Teen Challenge, right. And God gave him a vision, and lots of people at the time, um, I think had a lot of opposition, but he, in his vision, he showed what was to come. God gave him revelations of what's coming, and it was literally the people who have crept into the church, and the immorality brought into the church. 
the turning away from dependence on the word of God, the truth of the word of God, sound doctrine, and turning to the signs of the flesh. And they also brought in other things to do in the economic realm, which I also think is quite interesting. And, and from memory, he said, economic contagion starts with Germany. and goes from Germany to Japan. And then it hits the USA. And now, to, to my knowledge, that has never happened. It's been depression up now. But as I look today, and I look at the state of Germany, ever since they lost the cheap oil from Russia, they've started to struggle and go down and lose a lot of industry. So these times, so you look around, and we're not ignorant of these times. And so between contending for the faith and remaining strong, God in between gives us all the apostasy took place. But there's a song I remember um, as Dallas Holmes sang many years ago. I've learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. So we are a people who are living in a time where we see the words of Jude taking place around us and happening in our time. And so Jude says, they crept in, they're ungodly men, they're wolves and sheep clothing. And that is opposed to John, who talked about them who were with. They went out from us, but they were not of us. The Apostle Paul in Acts 20 29 says, But I know this that after my departing shall radius wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And when those who creep in, that's what happens, the flock is torn apart. Because they've not been vigilant to who has been let in. It's one of the things that quite often I pray for, Lord, discernment. Who is coming in to the meetings? Who is we going to be in our midst? Do they believe what the Lord Jesus Christ taught? Do they stand upon the word of God? And so we always have to be vigilant to ensure that no one creeps in who at the beginning look as if they're okay, they appear to be okay, but really they've come in to, as wolves into the flock. The Bible talks about in Matthew 13 the tares amongst the wheat. And the tares and the wheat, they grow up for all time. And you get into the book of Revelation where when the harvest comes, that is when these tares and the wheat will be separated. So the, the, the robes and the shaped clothing, Revelation 2.9, the calls on the children of the wicked one. And so when you're coming to Jude, Jude is, the, the book has been written because of verse 4. The blows have crept in unawares. They are a dame of old for this condemnation. They are ungodly men. And they turning the grace of God into a sinishness and denying the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, when we go scriptures, there's lots of warnings in scriptures. Galatians 2, verses 4 and 5 says, And that because of the false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. But this, Paul goes on to say, To whom we gave place by subjection? No! 
We didn't give place to them because we stand upon the word of God. We know the word of God and we know false teachers when they come in and we do not entertain them. And so he said, to whom we gave place to by subjection? No. Not for the mirror. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. We preach the gospel. The power of the risen Christ. The Son of God. Crucified. Buried. Resurrected. Able to, Who is reigning forever. And who is coming back again. And then if you go to 2 Corinthians 11.26. And if you look at it on the screen. It talks about different perils. You've got the perils of the haven, the perils of the city, the perils in the wilderness, the perils in the sea. But look at that last one. And perils amongst false brethren. So the Bible keeps warning us, and we find this throughout the scriptures, the warnings to be awake and to be attentive and watch what's happening. First Timothy talks about the latter times where you have engineered deception by demons. Second Timothy talks about the put away sound doctrine because they're teaching years and they turn to fables. And if you ever look at when people turn to fables, sometimes you wonder, well, how on earth can they believe such things? You know, they turn away from the words of the living God. But I want to speak in Jude verse 1, 8 and 1, 9. It's a funny thing. You're talking about apostasy, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there is a dispute about the body of Moses. You know, I think that's so strange. You know, where did that come from? Out of nowhere, we have this, and it says here, after talking about the apostasies and the corporate apostasies, it says, likewise also these filthy dreamers. So when you have apostasy, look for the consequences. They defile the flesh. They despise the million. They speak evil of dignitaries. And they contrast this with what happens with Jude. Yet Michael, that angel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Doth not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord did it. So here we have in verse 8, filthy dreamers. Dreamers, I think this is all the time in the New Testament you come against it. But you will find it in different parts of scriptures and some distant versions. And every time you find the word dreamers, it's not a good thing. It's not from God. And of course, in the Old Testament, we know about Joseph. Joseph had dreams. But if you pay attention, it's not God that said he was a dreamer. It's his brothers that said he was a dreamer. And so, the filthy dreamers, these dreamers, they, they, they are inspired by the wickedness. And if you look, they defiled the flesh. They corrupt the flesh. They despise dominion. They don't like authority. They don't like people ruling over them. 
and then they speak evil dignitaries. How many times have you found people speaking evil of the Lord Jesus Christ? Speaking evil over the authorities that are in place. Speaking evil. And here in the Bible, as a dispute in the body of both, what the word of, word of God says, here are consequences when apostasy comes in. That defile the face of despising them and they're speaking evil of dignitaries. So you have to watch where you speak with your tongue. Because when it comes to Michael, and who's Michael Archangel? So he's one of the most powerful beings in God's kingdom. And who is he confronting? He's confronting Satan. He is confronting the fallen cherub. And the Bible says here, he would not bring any real accusations <coughs> against him. But, said, the Lord will give you. So verse 8 and verse 9, and this stands between the corporate illustrations of apostasy and the individual illustrations of apostasy. And so you've got the two most powerful beings really in the kingdom of God. And here they are disputing over a dead body. There is something. So, so what's in this? So we want to look at why are they disputing the body of Moses? Now the scripture tells us that God himself buried Moses. Now we can, from the way that we know that people are, the way that human nature is, well we could understand why God would want to bury Moses. If everybody today knew where the tomb of Moses were, was, what would happen? You would have your pilgrimages. You would have all the people coming up to the tomb of Moses and they would be praying incense. They, they would be praying to Moses. And that's human nature. And we know what happens. Think about the serpent that Moses, the brazen serpent that Moses made in the wilderness. So that when people looked at the serpent, they were healed when, it, when the snakes bit them. It was Hezekiah who took that brazen image of the serpent and it broke it in pieces because the people were coming with incense to worship the brazen serpent. And human nature defaults, they always want something to worship. But you can't worship God because God's a spirit. And he doesn't look for you to have any graven image or anything, but you worship him in spirit and in truth. So we can understand that, but there must be more to the dispute. Because we find that Moses appears in the Mount of Transfiguration. And if he's in the Mount of Transfiguration and he's there with Elijah. And Peter, when he talks about it in his epistle, he talks about that as the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The glory that he saw. And of course Elijah represented the, the prophets. Moses represented the Lord. So here we have a dispute over the body. 
Because Satan has come and said, Oh, hold on a minute. You can't take that body. My heart can say, Why not? God wants his body, I'm taking it. No, no, no. The scriptures tells us this is not a time of the resurrection. This is not a time for bodies to be raised. You're taking this body before it's time. You can't do that. So you can understand the dispute that's going on. But the Bible says Moses was resurrected. <coughs> and Moses was in the Mount of Transfiguration. And so he's resurrected. And of course, we know in the book of Revelation there are two witnesses. We know one is definitely Elijah, and there's a dispute in others. One thinks it's Enoch, because he never died. Another thinks it's Moses, because he is a lawgiver, and Elijah is a prophet. And we know that, uh, that Enoch was not Jewish, he was a Gentile, and he walked with God, and he was not, because God took him. And so in the scriptures, you always have a type of what's to come. And Enoch is a type of those who are living and never die when Jesus comes. Caught up. Moses, if he's into to be a witness, then it's going to be a second death for him. Now that's unusual, but it's not totally, because Lazarus died twice, so did the other people in scripture, so there's got to be a particular reason for it. But the interesting thing is if you go to Revelation chapter 11, talking about these two witnesses, Revelation 11 verse 7, I guess. And then they shall have finished their testimony. It's an interesting and when you have finished your testimony. But Moses' testimony really was cut short because he was disobedient to the word of God. So God buried him. Elijah's testimony was cut short because after his experience of Mount Carmel, he thought, I'm the only one that's left. I'm the only one that's left for and so the Lord said, well, you go and get this other guy and I'll take you home. So, we know, we've got these two witnesses, we know what the scripture's saying. But there's something else about this verse. See, Michael, the archangel, was not the first person to say to Satan, the Lord to do you. Somebody far greater than Michael <coughs> done that. And then the book of Zechariah, we read in Zechariah chapter 3 about Joshua the high priest. And Joshua the high priest's garments were filthy. And there's the accusations of Satan. Accusations against him. But look at verse 2. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? So isn't that amazing in heaven where we have the Trinity? And the Bible says, The Lord rebuked the Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem. 
So in heaven, Jesus never rebuked Satan. But he referred him to his father. He said, the Lord rebuked Satan. You know, I would, as we look at the scriptures, <coughs> we come to the book of Hebrews. And then the book of Hebrews chapter 5. I'll just start with verse 8 and 9, but then we'll go back to verse 71. Though he were a son, talking about Jesus, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So we know from scripture, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We see how he accused Job in chapters 1 2, blaming God that he don't know serve you just because you protect him. You, you give him all that wealth. I can't touch him. Let me, let me take away his goods, then he'll curse you. Let me take away all these the things dear to him in his life, and then he'll curse you. So we know that Satan comes to accuse. Even in Luke, you know, Jesus tried to talk to Peter and say, Satan's desire to sift your feet, but I prayed for you. And we know that Paul, he would talk about it as a messenger of Satan to buffet me. So we know there is always, but the thing about Satan is, he comes before God and he accuses God face to face. Now you have to be bold to come before the creator of all things and accuse him face to face. What is the accusations? Well, the accusations are expressed in the book of Job and his experience. In Job 10 verse 4, he says, have you got eyes of flesh? Or do you see as man sees? Are your days are the days of man, or your years as many days? So here's a question to Jesus. This is a question to God. If you guys are flesh, do you see the way that man sees? Are your days as, as the length of the days of man? Are your years as a amount of days? But then we read in Hebrews 5, 7. Who in the days of his flesh? Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. Who in the days of his flesh? What happened in the days of Jesus' flesh? Because in 1 Timothy 3, 16 says, God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. God became man and walked amongst us. And when he walked amongst us, Jesus had the eyes of man. When he walked amongst us, he looked and saw as men saw. When Jesus walked amongst us, he was tempted at all points, even as we are tempted. When Jesus was in the flesh, Jesus stood up against the God of this world. And as a man, meeting all the requirements with accusations against him, then he stands up as a man. And when Satan comes to him, he doesn't say the Lord did you. But when Satan comes to him, he says, it is written. And he does it himself. 
And we have that same power and authority. Amen. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen. How do you do it? Because Jesus has now won it. Yes. Michael couldn't do it for you. Michael never had the authority to rebuke Satan. Nobody could rebuke him. Because God had to be in the form of flesh and as a man, experiencing everything as a man in order to deal with the God of this world. But in doing that, what has he done? He showed you and I, in the midst of apostasy, you rebuke the devil because you resist him and you do it by his word. You resist the devil and you say, it is written. And the Bible says, the devil departed from him. Mm. So right in the middle of all this apostasy of, of the corporate apostasies, the, the apostasy of individuals, in the midst we get a revelation that, that reveals to us there is one greater than Michael who waited till he became flesh. And when he became flesh, he rebuked the devil and showed us how you get victory over the devil. So in the midst of apostasy, what do you do? We lift up the name of Jesus. Because even in the midst of apostasy, the Bible says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. In the midst of all the chaos, because when there is a shaking, God is the one who shakes, but God is also what he's faithful. To use his people in the shaking so that those people who are lost can be brought into the kingdom. And then in the midst of all the wickedness, and then all has happened, they stand upon the word of God and declare the truth of the word of God. In the beginning, Jude said, content with faith. At the end, he's telling you, stand strong in the faith. In between is all the apostasy. The Lord has let us know we're in a time where there's apostasy. There's corruption in the church. There is corruption at different levels of government and society. But the word of God has never changed. The power of God has never changed. And if we bring our lives into alignment with the word of God and do what the word of God says, we will continue to rock in victory. And if when you start to go to the end of Jude, it's talking about pulling people out of the fire. Catching them the, what are you doing when the midst of apostasy and the shaking? You're grabbing people at the final bus stop. You're grabbing them before they're, they're totally overwhelmed. And so we live in these times. But the victory belongs to the Lord. Amen. And that's why we're encouraged to walk in the light as he is in the light. Because the light exposes darkness and exposes wickedness. And so we come today, beginning of a new year, expecting God to do good things this year. We expect healings and miracles. We expect salvations. We expect to be in a new building. We expect God to work on our behalf. Because we trust Him. We know whom we have put our trust in. We have put our trust in the one who has overcome all things and done all things well. And his name is Jesus. So Father, this morning we thank you that we have a saviour.
who has went beyond anything that we can imagine so that we as individuals, children and daughters of the living God, can walk in truth, can walk knowing that we have power and authority to deal with anything that comes against us. 